Today, I want to talk about the secret recipe, so to speak, of building a championship caliber roster. And part of this, unfortunately, for those that like to think that GMs are just these geniuses sitting up in the front office, just, uh, you know, conjuring up these genius moves where they sign a guy for $1.5 million and he ends up having 15 sacks or like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a couple years ago signed Shaq Barrett and he ends up having like, like 12 sacks in the first three games or something ridiculous like that. But I do want to discuss the fact that trading for, and I've talked about this before, but I really want to bring it home here because I think this is something that no one is discussing, but I can really, I really feel comfortable to say, I bet you NFL front offices are noticing this trend and noticing that this is the way to build a championship roster. The best way to equalize talent, right? Everybody wants to say build through the draft. <clears throat> Excuse me. Building through the draft is fantastic when it works out, right? It's great when you hit on Richard Sermon in the fifth round and Cam Chancellor in the fifth round and those types. Like those things are not sustainable, right? What the, what is sustainable, however, and also you know what else is not sustainable? Drafting guys in the first round and just drafting absolute first round talents every single year and paying those guys because guess what? When you draft a guy with the 15th pick or 16th pick or 32nd pick overall, and he becomes a star in those first three years, like the Vikings drafted Justin Jefferson in what the late 20s or whatever it was, he became a really good player as a rookie, a star. They, if he continues this play, they will have to pay him handsomely, right? He's going to be a 25 to $30 million per year wide receiver. You know what's not sustainable? If you hit on three of those in a row. And you have to pay them all when their time comes, right? It's just that recipe is not the most – what it is sustainable for is building a – it's great when you have a win-now team and then you draft a couple guys like that in a row. Like, for example, the Saints when they drafted Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchick, and they also hit on third-rounders Alvin Kamara and Alex Anzalone. I'm sorry, not Alex Anzalone. They did draft him in that same draft, but uh, Trey Hendrickson is who I was thinking of. The point I'm making here is this. <clears throat> what is sustainable? You might be thinking at this point, right? Well, as a Panther fan, I can tell you a story about one year where Dave Gettleman hit on some cheap free agents. And I'm going to include a UDFA or two in this conversation. But cheap free agents that he hit on that ended up being really good players. In other words, they were low risk, high reward players at the time. Michael Orr. A starting left tackle. The Panthers got this guy for like two years, $7 million or something ridiculous. It was, it was really cheap. And the reason Gettleman locked him up for two years is something that I've discussed with you guys in the past. And that's because he said if Michael Orr came out and, and you know, kind of basically hit the ceiling that we saw that he might have, we didn't want to be in a position where we'd have to pay him the following year and we'd have to pay him $15 million a year or whatever it was at that time for an elite level left tackle. Because for that one season specifically, uh, the next year, it was very unfortunate what happened to Michael Orr. His, his uh, concussions what became a real issue for him and really ultimately ended his career. But I know people are thinking, Michael Orr, that guy wasn't it. Michael Orr was a very big-time player for that Super Bowl Panther team. And the fact that he was a low-risk, you know, a couple million dollars at the end of the day per year, three, four million bucks a year for a top – at that season, I'd say he was the top 10 – at worst, a top 15 left tackle. Now think about it like this. You didn't have a starting caliber left tackle on your roster. So to go from like 
basically starting a backup at the left tackle position to starting Michael Orr, who other than Jordan Gross was one of the very best offensive linemen Cam Newton ever had as a Panther. That was instrumental in that, uh, in that Super Bowl run. You know what else is instrumental? Well, Andrew Norwell, undrafted free agent, right? You sign him for what, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars, something like that. And he plugs it, plug and plays as a, as a really good starter for you. You know what else was a big time deal? Uh, Trey Turner, your third round pick, a guy that came in and started for you as a young, as a young player there. I think he's even as a rookie. So <clears throat> the point I'm making here, and I can go on with these examples and I will, is uh, low risk. And it's not just free agents, but free agents are a big aspect of it. Low risk acquisitions with a high ceiling. I used this example the other day and I'm going to do it again because it's the best example I can think of. Um, a couple of years ago, I think it was maybe two years ago, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers traded the fourth round pick, I believe it was, for Jason Pierre-Paul. Now imagine this, the next year they signed Shaq Barrett for like $3 million in free agency. Low risk, high reward. They knew Shaq Barrett was a high draft pick, but he didn't have any production. They knew that his ceiling was a double digit sack guy. They knew it, right? So they said, let's see if we can get lucky. They may have tried to get him to sign a two-year deal and Shaq may have been smart and said, no, I want to bet on myself with a one. I bet you that's what happened as a matter of fact. But anyways, the point is they were able to get Shaq Barrett for 3 million bucks or whatever it was for that one year. Now think about that that duo, that tandem of edge rushers in the Super Bowl. Okay, do you know who was in the middle? Ndamukong Sue, another relatively low risk, high reward player. You might say, well, Sue was, you know, a lot of money. He was a lot of money, but it wasn't a lot of guaranteed money and it wasn't long term. So it was like seven, eight, nine million bucks. But <clears throat> look at the top five defensive tackles in football. They're 17, 18 million dollars a year. So what I'm getting at is that Ndamukong Sue money didn't really hurt you in terms of your compensation uh, pick formula, the draft pick formula, compensation draft pick formula. Um, and also they let Gerald McCoy walk. So letting McCoy walk and bringing in Sue was basically a net, you know, that was even essentially in terms of the comp pick formula. So the point I'm making in, in large part is this, when you can sign free agents like Antonio Brown, for a million bucks, like the Patriots tried to do with Cam Newton. And Cam played well. I mean, what do you have, like 15 rushing touchdowns or something crazy? It's just that, by the way, the greatest quarterback of all time couldn't do shit in that offense last year either. So I don't think – I think the Cam Newton uh, signing by the Patriots is one of these low-risk, high-reward moves that we can talk about and go ahead and throw in there because I, I wish you would have seen an entire season of Jarrett Stidham playing quarterback in that, in that offense. I really do. But anyways – Bringing in those low-risk guys that have high upside that you're not spending either premium draft compensation on, a la Jason Pierre-Paul when you're spending a fourth-round pick, or when you're signing guys for three, four million bucks like Michael Orr, um, Shaq Barrett, you know, guys like that, <clears throat> instead of the guys like Jalen Ramsey or the guys like, um, you know, Stephon Diggs where you're giving that first-round compensation, the Bills are doing that because they know now is our best chance to win a championship. Not to say we can't win one later, but we've got Josh Allen making a couple million dollars a year, and we've got a roster full of good veteran players, right? Tampa, and, and look at what the Bills have done. They've done exactly the strategy I'm discussing, and that's how they've built their team into a win-now team. They've signed guys like Mario Addison. That is a low risk, even though it's a decent amount of money, It's they let – who they let Shaq Lawson walk or whatever his name is. They let him walk 
And uh, then they sign Mario, so that doesn't hurt their comp pick status there. And then they sign guys like good, solid veteran players, low-risk, high-reward guys, AJ Klein, Josh Norman. Um, you know, even when the, the guy that didn't work out a few years ago, the corner, uh, Vontae Davis, that quit playing in the middle of the game, even that was another one of those examples of those moves that, like, the Colts did it with this year with Xavier Rhodes, right? That's what the that's what the Bills were going for that year when they signed Vontae Davis. You're going for a guy that you can pay less money than he's worth, and not because you want to screw him over, but because he's at that point in his career in this case, or because that's his market value at that particular time because he hasn't played all that well on his previous team. You know, and you can if you can find ways to identify that right there, guys that haven't played well or haven't played up to their potential in their previous contract. Therefore, they're cheaper than they would be. However, they have upside that is definitely greater than what you're going to pay for them. That is how Bill Belichick has built several championship teams. Belichick sucks at drafting in the first round. His first round picks almost always are underwhelming. That's just the reality of it. But what is he great at? He's great at taking scraps from another team and turning them into Jamie Collins. <clears throat> he literally did it twice with Jamie Collins. Jamie Collins, not that he was scraps. He was a higher draft pick, I believe, originally by the Patriots. They let him go. He goes and signs his big money deal somewhere else. He plays bad in Cleveland. He comes back to New England. And then he goes again and signs a big money deal with Detroit. You know, what I mean? And that's just Belichick identifying how he can tap into that ceiling of each of these players, right? And that's what he does constantly. Kyle Van Noy, same thing. Every time, and the more you can do this, the most consistent you can be at this, if you can be more consistent than your opponents, really is the most you know important aspect of it in terms of gathering a roster full of low-risk, high-upside guys, okay? Not going into free agency and spending $25 million a year on Allen Robinson or whatever he might cost, right? That's not sustainable. You can do that when you can. Like I wasn't trashing the Bills trading for Stephon Diggs. I think that was a phenomenal trade for them at that time. The point I'm making is this. What about when you can ship off Odell Beckham and then trade a four for Leonard Williams? You know, and now you've got, you've built this monstrous uh, defensive front like like Dave Gettleman has built in New York. And oh, by the way, Marcus Golden was another example. Gettleman, <clears throat> Mario Addison was another example first when he was first signed by the Panthers. Dave Gettleman did that. Brings Mario Addison into the Carolina. Addison comes in for cheap, uh, earns a roster spot, ends up being a double-digit sack guy for multiple years for the Panthers. That's a huge hit in terms of roster building. And then he goes to New York. First thing he does is picks up Marcus Golden off the scrap heap. Golden comes in, drops like 13 sacks, and, and is like a top five pressures guy in the NFL since you guys love pressure so much. You know, it's just that's the kind of stuff that really – and I know you're sitting there thinking, well, that didn't work out so well for the Giants. Well, the Giants had other issues, right? They weren't quite ready to win now. <clears throat> but those are the types of moves when you can make them and you can build a roster full of those guys. And every now and then you can mix in a year where you have – a third and fourth round, fifth round picks playing and starting games for you. And you sign a guy like, you know, uh, Stefan Gilmore in free agency to, to just cap it all off, or you trade for Brandon Cooks, you trade a first rounder for Brandon Cooks, and then the next year you, you get 15 yards out of him or whatever it was, and then next year you trade him, you trade him away for a first rounder. 
like things like that, guys, where you use resources, but it's an illusion. You're using a resource like Belichick used that first round pick for Brandon Cooks. So everybody's thinking, wow, Belichick must love Brandon Cooks. Belichick loved that Brandon Cooks was young enough to where he could come in there, give him a huge season, well over a thousand yards and almost 10 touchdowns. And then he could ship him off for an additional first round, like to basically get his, get his compensation back. So you're essentially rented a year of prime Brandon Cooks, high level production to get you to a Super Bowl, by the way, that they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles, but they still got there and Brandon Cooks got hurt earlier in that game. Then he gets a concussion and you ship him off to LA. So you never paid him a dollar more than his rookie contract had him slated to make, and you got your compensation back. It's moves like that that may, you can make the illusion that they're high risk at the time, but you know what's high risk? Trading more than a first round pick for Odell Beckham Jr. And it not working out. Trading multiple first round picks for Jamal Adams and your defense for most of the season not being that great. Those are the types of things that make you not a Super Bowl team. <clears throat> Whereas you look at the Green Bay Packers, what they do, they sign Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, two guys that were, oh, sure, you know, like big money deals, and and but they weren't the top, top, top of the mountaintop in terms of highest paid guys, right? It wasn't the it wasn't the same thing as trading for <clears throat> Jalen Ramsey and then paying him five million dollars more than the next highest paid corner. But I hope you see the point I'm making here is it's about value, right? It's okay to pay a lot for someone or to pay, but the most important aspect is that their ceiling, if you can somehow tap into that ceiling, significantly out um, significantly out rewards where you're paying for them, right? Zadarius Smith in the two years he's been with the Green Bay has been, in my opinion, a better player than Khalil Mack. Now think about this. The Packers gave up nothing to get him and paid him far less than the Bears have paid Khalil Mack. And he has been a better player. When you hit on play, on moves like that, it is absolutely gigantic for your team. When you hit on a player like Darnell Savage and then you come <clears throat> and then you hit on a guy like Aaron Jones in the fifth round, that is huge, right? And uh, and maybe they just hit on Jordan Love. We don't know yet, but in the long term, if Jordan Love becomes Patrick Mahomes in five years, then yeah, it'll, it will be saying this about that too. But I think building your roster with a bunch of first round picks that you hit on is not possible because there is a salary cap, contrary to what a lot of people believe. The salary cap does exist and it will eventually eliminate the possibility of you bringing a certain amount of good players onto your roster, right? So when you can hit on those guys, that are low risk, right? You trade a fourth rounder, you get Jason Pierre Paul. When you can do that kind of stuff and you can get those extra years for cheap, right? Where you you bring in a guy, he has 18 sacks for you like Shaq Barrett did, and you only paid $3 million for that year. Then if you look at it over two years, because they paid him like 16 million on the franchise tag this year, you just got elite level edge rusher production out of Shaq Barrett for a two-year, $19 million deal, give or take. That's an absolute bargain, and it's gigantic for your football team, for your organization, because now you're going to let him walk, most likely. They don't want to let him walk, but they're probably going to let him walk. And guess what you're going to get back? A third-round pick. You know, And if you sign someone like, let's say, Olivier Vernon right now, who would be perfectly 
uh, fit into the category of low risk, high reward that I'm talking about, especially in that Buccaneers defensive scheme with Todd Bowles, that would be the absolute perfect scenario because that is not going to prevent you from getting that third round comp pick. Shaq Barrett's going to go sign a 20 plus million dollar a year deal. And guess what? Whoever pays him 20 plus million dollars a year is not getting the value that Tampa got the last two seasons. And that is ultimately the difference in building a team that's good enough to make a Super Bowl run versus a team that is good enough to be a playoff team for a couple years until their window closes. And then, depending on how great their quarterback is, a la the Houston Texans, they may or may not even be a playoff team, right? That's that's the difference, unfortunately, and fortunately for those that are good at it. So that's what Bill Belichick has been good at. Everybody can make fun of him all they want for him missing on first-round picks and drafting the guys like Nikhil Harry, Sonny Michelle. Um, you know, the list goes on. Ben Jarvis Green Ellis many years ago, like the list goes on. He's not been great in the first round, but where he's been good and great is on low-risk trades, a la the Trent Brown trade. They gave up a seventh-round pick for Trent Brown. They got a third-round pick back a year later in the compensatory pick back when he signed his big money deal with the Raiders. And guess who didn't get any more value? The Raiders didn't get value out of Trent Brown. The Patriots did. They got one or what was it? One or two years of high-level, elite-level offensive tackle play out of him, and then they got a third-round pick in exchange for their seven the previous year. That right there, doing shit like that consistently is how you build a champion. And I think it's the biggest hack in terms of team building in the NFL today. So that's what I got for you guys today. I'll talk to you later. Peace.